Good morning, everybody. That's why we're here this morning, to magnify the Lord and to praise Him and lift Him up today. So I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Um, welcome to Creekside. And we're still a little bit in Thanksgiving mode around here. It's always a good time to be thankful. So um, we'll, we'll sing a little bit about that today. just want to open with a verse here this morning. Um, this is a, maybe a little bit different uh, version than we usually hear of Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. If you'd all stand and join us as we sing this first song. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for song then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord? Oh my 
so good, better than we deserve, better than we can understand, and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have some announcements. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving time. Uh, Hopefully with family and friends. Uh, A couple announcements this morning. We do have a a women's missionary outreach at church at 930 this Thursday. Um, They're going to be raising money for a um, a manual mission school uh, in Arizona, so they're going to be collecting for that. So that'll be, again, Thursday at 9.30. Um, we have a free pantry donation day next weekend, so if you have uh, goods that you can bring for that, we uh, ask you to do that as well. Um, the Christmas program is coming up very soon. Um, if you would like to help out, um, if you can memorize some verses, help out with that or serve in other ways, uh, please contact Debbie Short. She's looking for some more volunteers to help out with that. Rehearsal will be in two weeks uh, from today, so you can see we're coming up very, very quickly on that. Uh, again, please pray for those that are traveling. You know, Pastor Steve and Marla are gone, and uh, Jesse South, our new uh, youth pastor, will be moving here to Iowa this week. So we want to uh, make sure that we're praying for them as well. So uh, that's our announcements, and I'll turn it over for Bob. You can come on. Thanks, Doug. Well, good morning. Let me be the the third one in the service this morning to hope that you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, And I liked the Dakotas kind of dragging out the season. Really, that should be all year long, shouldn't it? Uh, Thanksgiving. And we have so many things to be thankful for that if we're really paying attention, we won't run out of Thanksgivings at all. So it's good to be with you here this morning, and we're going to continue on with our Ephesians series. Uh, we've gotten through the first three chapters, and, and this morning we're going to start in chapter four. Uh, if you want to start turning there, I'm just going to lift our time up to the Lord in prayer. Father, truly you are a good, good God, and with every breath that we're able, we want to give 
you thanks and praise you for all that you've done and all that you are. Thank you for the things that we've been learning in the book of Ephesians. Thank you that you chose us from before the foundation of the world, that you've adopted us as children, that you've given us an inheritance with your own son, that you've placed us in him, the one that you love, you love us too, and that he is in us as well. Thank you that you've sealed us with your Holy Spirit as a guarantee that we will receive the promised inheritance. Thank you that you've brought us into your body, that you've broken down the barriers of nationality, of background, relationship to you, and brought us into one church, and that we stand before you this morning, righteous, justified, that you saved us by your grace, not of our works that we could boast about, but according to your grace and the gift of God, by grace through faith. And so, for this reason, we bow our knees before you this morning, Father. Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, that you would strengthen us with all power through your Holy Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So that we, uh, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that all the fullness of God may dwell in us. And so now, Father, to you who are able to do abundantly more than all that we can think or ask, this morning we look to you that we might bring you glory, that you would have glory in your church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, uh, as I said, we're ready for chapter 4 in Ephesians, and there's a, a little bit of a pattern that you can see in a lot of Paul's writings where kind of up, in, up front, he goes over things that we know, what we call doctrine. And Ephesians is very uh, pronounced in that way, and so as we begin to look at chapter 4, uh, I just want to, first I'll read the first six verses, that's what we're going to cover this morning, but then just kind of step back and look at where we've been and where we're going to go, because we're kind of at a fulcrum here where we're, we're going from that section of the epistle, that, of the letter that's primarily teaching about what's true, doctrine, and now we're getting into practically how does that play out in our lives. So let's read the first six verses together this morning of Ephesians 4. It says, I therefore, and as we uh, hear often when you read therefore, you need to pay attention to what it's there for and you need to look at what's around. So we'll do that. 
a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there, there's a lot of teaching in that too, right? A lot of doctrine reminders there. But as we think about where we've been in Ephesians, I've, I've just put a few things up there on the left of things that we've learned. We're adopted children of God. We're sealed with the Spirit. We're in Christ. We're brought near to God. We are chosen in Him. Uh, we're His heirs. We are His inheritance. We're redeemed. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. And we're one church from multiple nations brought into one church with that dividing wall brought down. So these are things that we know. And if, if those don't resonate with you from the last few weeks, I'd highly encourage you to go back and, and reread those first few chapters. It's been very rich experience for me to sit and listen to Steve and Alan uh, talk about these things to us. And it, it really is, you know, one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible. I remember when I was probably about 16, and maybe I've told you this before, but the, the first time I really latched on to that idea that we were chosen by God before the foundation of the world, I, I felt sure if I could just remember that on a daily basis, I would never sin again. And I don't know what, what fell down if I just didn't remember or it wore off, but I keep needing to go back and be reminded of what we've had in these first three chapters. We need to know this, okay? So know the truth of God. Sometimes uh, we create this dichotomy of, well, that's just doctrine stuff. I'm more about Christian living. It doesn't work that way in the Bible. Christian living is directly connected with the doctrine. And so, as we go into chapter 4, we're going to start that. But last week we had, um, in chapter 3, this prayer, verses 14 through 19, which says, is Paul saying to these Ephesian Christians, he's saying, I am praying for you that you'll be strengthened with all the power of God working in you, and the, through the Spirit, through faith. They need all all the power of God, they need all this truth to be able to walk, as we're going to talk this morning, worthy of the calling that they've been called. So he prays for them. So we need to know, but we also need to pray. That's an important part of being a Christian, is praying, and not just praying that the weather will be nice, or that, you know, we'll have a good Thanksgiving dinner, or a good Christmas, that everything's going to work out okay. We need to pray that we'll be strengthened with the power of God. That's what God offers us, and we need to pray that for ourselves and for each other too. I, I know many of you have been praying for me this morning, and I appreciate that. I've been praying for you uh, the last several weeks too as I've been considering this passage. Um, and then we need to trust. And so 
the end of the last two verses there, there's that doxology that says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. So we need to trust that God can do these things in us and through us, because we can't do them ourselves. And so as we go forward, then we need to go. And so what's ahead of us here, we're going to learn about how do we interact in the church? What's personal holiness look like for believers in Christ? Uh, what, how do we interact with our neighbors? What should our marriage look like? What should our relationship with our kids, with our parents, in the workplace, and in spiritual warfare? These things are all coming up in these next few chapters. And so the Bible is a very, very practical book, and it touches every aspect of our lives. But it starts on this foundation of what we know. We need to know. We need to be in the Word. Know the truth. Pray that God will give us power. Trust that He will and go forward in obedience because we need that trust in our hearts. That's what faith is. It's not just having a head knowledge, yeah, that these things are true. It's trusting that God is able. Now to Him who is able to do far abundantly than all we can ask or think. He is able. So these things that we're going to be reading of coming up, the way we're supposed to interact in the church and family and at work, are really impossible in our own strength. So we need that prayer. So as we know by learning scriptures, pray, trust, and go, then we will be walking worthy. I think I'm I must have a fast-forward button instead of a play button. <laughs> but we are, uh, we'll be walking worthy. So, Paul starts out here, therefore, and I think that's a reference to all of the chapters that have gone before. Because those things are true, then he says, a little reminder here, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. So, obedience to God and his call for Paul was pretty costly for him. He's in prison, and he, he talks about that. We read that in chapter 3. He is in prison specifically because he was preaching the gospel to non-Jews. That didn't go over very well with the Jewish people. They, they didn't really like him preaching about Jesus, that he was the Christ, but they would put up with that. But if you read through the book of Acts, when he got to the point where he was talking about the salvation that's going to go to non-Jews, all of a sudden, he was in hot water. And so he was in prison for the Gentiles' sake because that was his calling. It was a costly obedience to Paul. And so he just gives them this little reminder, I think, maybe as he's about to say, walk worthy. You walk worthy of your call too. Um, and he urges them. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. There's urgency about this. This isn't just, well, yeah, that's something to take under consideration. You know, maybe, maybe I should change a few things in my life because I'm a Christian and there's expectations of Christians. No, there's an urgency that we believe what the Bible says. And if we believe what it says, that's going to be a radical change in our lives, in our thought processes, in our behaviors. So he says, walk or make your way through this life. Take advantage of the opportunities before you 
those things we saw that are coming up, your church life, your family life, your interactions with your neighbors and unbelievers and in the workplace and in your spiritual walk with God. Take advantage of those opportunities in such a way that it's worthy. So there are any number of organizations that you could join and they have a code of conduct. There's an expectation of how you're going to act if you belong to this club or how you're going to act if you work for this employer. And I've signed different agreements through my working experience of things that I needed to uh, disclose. I, I'm related to somebody that works at a hospital or, or whatever. I need to disclose that because I'm working in a situation where I could compromise that. Well, Paul says, you are children of God. Your life shouldn't be looking like children of the devil's lives, right? Your life shouldn't look like somebody that's controlled by money or uh, greed or selfishness. You should look like God. Little images of God. And that's how we walk worthy. I remember in college, I was invited to a dinner. And I didn't know what you're supposed to wear. I didn't say what you're supposed to wear. Um, and I was pretty nervous about that. And I, so I made the decision, well, I'm going to wear like business casual, nice khakis or dockers or whatever, and a, a button-up shirt. That'll be right down the middle, right? So if I go in jeans and a T-shirt and I'm wrong, I'm going to stand out. If I go in a suit and a tie and I'm wrong, I'm going to stand out. So I'm going to go right down the middle. I tried to just blend right in, and I honestly can't remember how everybody else was dressed, so that must have meant that I did blend in. But I didn't know what, what the worthy dress was for that event, and I, I was nervous about it. God gives us what's the worthy walk of a believer. We're getting ready to open that up here in these next few chapters. Um, and this is worthiness of our calling. We have been called. God has issued us an invitation. Uh, and this, through the preaching of the gospel, we have been invited to come to Jesus and to enter the kingdom of God and embrace salvation. And I wonder this morning if everybody that's here has answered that call. If you've been here before, you've heard the gospel that God, through his son Jesus, has made a way for us to be made right with him and to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in the work that he did on the cross, that it was for us. If you've received that, then you have this calling. You have a calling that we've been reading about these first few chapters. And so we also have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that empowers us to walk in this worthy manner. As we read in chapter 1, when we believed, we received the Holy Spirit of God. And that's where the power comes from to do this. Um, as I was thinking about this call and the response to it, you know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 22 a story about how there was a wedding feast and the Father invited many people to come. But they didn't come. And so those people that didn't respond to the call became the subject of the wrath 
of the man who invited them. And God has issued a general call in the gospel to whosoever will, whoever will, may come. And so it's important that you've listened to that call and responded to that call. And again, I hope that we all have. But you know that that father was not content just to judge those that didn't come. He went out and he compelled others to come. He brought them in, people that weren't normally worthy of that circumstance, and clothed them and prepared them to be at a wedding feast. And that's a, a great picture of the gospel that's gone out to everyone, but everybody doesn't responded. And God has compelled some of us through his spirit, and he's made us suitable for his presence. So what does this worthy walk look like? And so I said here, the walking worthy wears certain characters. And so it says, with all humility. Why is that walking worthy? Well, if we believe what we read in chapter 2 about ourselves, we found out that we were dead in sins. In other words, there was nothing in us that would respond positively to God. We were, we were dead. As far as our response to God, there wasn't really a response there. And so it also says we were children of wrath. We were under the judgment of God. His wrath was our destiny. So if we really understand that, and then in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2, it says, by grace we are saved. It's not of our own works, but it's the gift of God so that no one would boast. If we understand that, humility is the natural outcome of that, don't you think? Because I'm not going to look around, even at my neighbors who are not believers, who are doing terrible things, I'm not going to look down on them with pride and think, oh, I'm glad I'm not as bad as they are, right? I mean, well, maybe you don't believe Ephesians chapter 2 if you think that. We need to know these things, right? It'll change our attitudes towards each other. And so humility marks those who are saved by grace. Gentleness. And so gentleness, I think we kind of all know what it is, right? I mean, sometimes there's hard work that has to be done. You think of a surgeon going in to take a biopsy or a tumor or to make a repair. They're going to go in and do some things that hurt and take some things out. But they're not going to do more damage than they have to because they're going to be gentle, right? Or, I mean, I just noticed Amy over there. Physical therapy hurts sometimes, right? But there's a certain kind of pain that they don't want you to feel. If you feel this kind of pain, stop. I might be getting that right. <laughs> yeah, so gentleness. It doesn't mean there's nothing unpleasant going on, but it means that it's not going to hurt any more than it has to. We, we need to have that attitude towards those around us if we're going to be worthy of the call to which God has called us. And then patience. Again, I think we kind of understand patience. Um, but patience, this word patience doesn't just have the connotation of waiting. It also refers to perseverance and constancy. So intentionality. You know, you might say, Bob is just annoying to talk to, especially lately. All, all he does is pulls out his phone and he wants to show us pictures of, of babies, you know? <laughs> I, I've become that guy. 
and some of you are very patient with me, but I'll try to do better. Um, in the future, if you say, this annoys me about my brother or my sister, I'm just going to leave them be. I'm going to go live my life, let them live, live and let live. That's not patience. That's not godly patience. Patience is staying connected when it's hard, right? When it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. And so in these aspects, humility, gentleness, and patience, there were a couple of uh, verses that I wanted to pull from other passages that refer to these things. So Galatians 6, chapter 1, 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so somebody has gotten into sin in their lives, and, and they, in this case, probably know better because they are probably a believer, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So there we see the gentleness coming in, right? Somebody is, is walking in sin. They're not supposed to walk in sin if they're a believer. And so we need to go help them, but we do it with gentleness, right? And we do it with humility. It says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, because we are all capable, if we believe what we've been reading, in these first few chapters, we're all capable of any of the sin that we see going on around us. So that humility and that gentleness to bring somebody back into a relationship with God. That's our goal, right? When we see somebody who is misbehaving, it's not, oh, your behavior is irritating me. No, it's, look, we all need to be worthy of the calling with which we've been called what, what, what do we need to do to get us on track? And how do I have to have this humility in my own mind to prevent myself from falling into the ditch that I'm trying to help you out of? And then in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. And I, I like thinking about this verse because you could see somebody who's not doing what they're supposed to do, right? And on the surface of it, maybe if you're like me, your mind first goes to the place where, oh, they're lazy. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. Well, that could be. It could be. Maybe they are just idle, and they need an admonition to say, hey, get off your seat and do something, right? Do what you're supposed to do. But it could be that they're faint-hearted, and they're afraid to take that step, to do what they're supposed to do. And in that case, they need to be encouraged. Or it could be that they're just weak. And they need somebody to come alongside and help carry the burden of the work that God has given them to do. All three of those things are ways that we are to interact and walk worthy of the calling. And it looks different based on what's going on in the hearts. You have to get close to somebody to know how to help them, right? And to do that, with patience, like we read, with be patient with all. It doesn't say be patient with the weak, but boy, you better get on those people that are just lazy. No, it says be patient with them all. And so, humility, gentleness, and patience are ways that, that we show our worthiness of the call. And then he goes on and he says, 
bearing with one another in love. In the King James, I think this says long-suffering. And growing up, there was a, a man in our church that he would pronounce it long-suffering. <laughs> so there's some suffering involved in bearing with one another in love. But we do that because God has borne with us in love. And we are going to walk worthy of this calling to which we've been called. So these things particularly, I think, um, you know, the patience, gentleness, humility, uh, bearing with one another, love, are all associated with the fruit of the Spirit. And they also imply that we are in relationship with each other. And they also imply that the relationship we have with each other is not always easy, right? Does that resonate with anybody? Is it ever hard to get along with your brothers and sisters, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your neighbors, with unbelievers whose thinking is coming from a completely different worldview? Is, is that, am I the only one that ever has difficulty in that? Probably not. Doesn't look like it. I see some knowing smiles and nods, and some of you might be thinking, yeah, you're one of them, Bob. I, I'm not looking at my sister over here. Um, certain things you don't want to hear an amen for, right? <laughs> yes. Um, and then eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit brings us together. We're going to see in a minute from First uh, Corinthians that the Spirit of God is what formed the church. And that's what brings us together is the Spirit of God. And there is a unity among true believers because we all have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And we should all, remember, you know, we should all want what we know to be reflected when people see our relationships with each other. That we're eager to maintain that unity and that we're eager to do it in the bond of peace. There was a, I, I thought of a situation that I think fits into this passage really well, and I wasn't sure where to put it, so I'm going to put it here. But when I graduated from high school, there were two extremely talented vocalists that were juniors, and they sang a song to the senior class. And I've never heard two beautiful voices singing the same song at the same time in such a, you know, being on key and everything, but it, it wasn't harmonious. It wasn't. There, it was as though they were competing to be heard. And guess what the song was called? It was called The Greatest Love of All. And it's a song about how most of all you need to love yourself. It just, it works that way. They believed most of all you need to love yourself. They both brought awesome abilities and talents, and they were up there competing with each other when they should have been harmonizing. And it, it wasn't pretty. It, it wasn't beautiful to listen to. And so these characteristics of gentleness, humility, patience, eager to maintain unity, bearing with each other in love, are the things that take 
and I don't want to steal next week's message, but diverse people and make them work as one body. It's the unity of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit playing out in my life helps me and helps you to work together in supernatural ways that are just miraculous to the world, to see people from these backgrounds and these different abilities, two people with the same ability able to work together, and it's only by the power of the Spirit of God. And we need that prayer. We need that prayer from the end of chapter 3 to be strengthened with power from God and then in the bond of peace. You know, I, I was thinking of water, and if I remember my physics class right, when water is at room temperature, it, the molecules are moving and stuff, but when you apply heat to them, they start getting agitated. They start moving faster. They start bouncing against each other. The piece of water just sitting there begins to turn into an agitation, and then it evaporates. And if you leave it boiling that long enough, pretty soon you have a dry pot. It's gone. So the bond of peace is kind of like that. You know, we uh, sometimes the boat needs to be rocked a little bit, but if that's our mindset about everything, I'm going to rock the boat. That's not the way the bond of peace works. Gentleness, the bond of peace, eager to maintain unity. And so all of these things come together and they create unity within the church of God. And I've, I've been to the symphony a couple times and I, I've just been impressed when I go there when it's done well. I've been to like a middle school symphony and then I've been to the Des Moines symphony. <laughs> In the middle school symphony, you can pick out the instruments, right? <laughs> and you can tell who's playing what. Um, but when you, when you get to listen to the Des Moines Symphony or others, it almost sounds like, to me anyway, like one instrument. There's just one sound. And that is a picture, I think, of what walking worthy looks like in the church. So then we go to um, verse 4. And there's a whole bunch of ones listed here. And so these ones have implications to us. If we believe these ones, that impacts the way we're going to live and interact with one another and with God too. So first of all, it says there is one body. And we've seen earlier in Ephesians what one body refers to. It refers to the church of God. And we are united with Christ as the head. So we are part of Christ, and we're part of each other. And so there is one body. And if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus, and you're trusting in him for salvation, you're part of that body. A question we can all ask ourselves is, am I part of the body? Would anybody guess that I was part of a body of believers? Am I interacting? Am I doing my part? You know, I don't want to jump too much into next week's uh, passage, but verse 16 says that 
when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every part of the body of Christ matters and has an important part to play. And so if you or I are not playing my part, working properly, the body may not be growing up. It might not be building itself up in love. And maybe, you know, we might sit back and say, oh, I think that's, I think that's the pastor's fault. Or I think that's because, you know, um, we have a certain style of worship. I think that's because our Sunday school program or our youth program or our elders or our deacons or our secretary or somebody isn't doing their job. Well, in a way, that's not really my job to figure out, is it? My job is to figure out what's my part and am I working properly? Because maybe that's the problem. And once I start working properly, then others are not going to have to accommodate for the lack of, of me doing my part, right? And so we are one body. And just like our physical bodies, the body of Christ, everything needs to be working well for it to continue to grow and prosper. And there's one spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. And if you read Acts chapter 19, it tells the story of this church of, at Ephesus, how it started. And it's really, I would really encourage you sometime this week, if not today, to go back and look at Acts chapter 19 and read about how the church at Ephesus started. Because we're going to see, and we have seen some things here that are, are significant to the way it started. So, the apostles came to Ephesus and they found some people that were uh, followers of John the Baptist. And they said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, well, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. And they said, well, what were you baptized into? And they said, John's baptism. So they said, well, you need to be baptized to Jesus. And as far as I know, there's four places in the the book of Acts, where people visibly received the Holy Spirit of God, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. And the fourth one is in Ephesus. Well, the first one was in Jerusalem, and the, the Jewish church started, then Samaria. So, as Jesus told them, you start in Jerusalem, go to Samaria, then you go to the Gentiles with the gospel of the kingdom. So the Jewish church, that was seen. When the Samaritans got saved and the Spirit of God came and had dwelt them, there was a public display that proved they received the Spirit of God. Then they went to the Gentiles. Cornelius, I believe it was. And his house believed. And they received the Spirit of God in this very visible, outwardly manifested way. And this is the fourth one in Ephesus. And so we had the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, but Ephesus was a Jew and Gentile church. This was a very diverse church. The apostles started preaching in the synagogues. People got saved there. Then they got kicked out of the synagogues, and they went and preached to the Gentiles. And people got saved from the Gentiles. There were magicians and sorcerers that got saved. They had book burnings to, sell, to destroy their witchcraft. And then there were Asian governors 
and authorities that got added to the church. So think about that scenario. This is a, a, a very diverse city, a very diverse church, Jews, um, Gentiles in general, people that worship, had worshipped um, Diana, the god of the Ephesians, and magicians, sorcerers, and government officials all in one church. Can you imagine a church like that? Well, this is who Paul's writing to here. And so it's the Spirit of God who came and indwelt them that enabled them to show this one Spirit at work. And so in 1 Corinthians 12 is a, a chapter that talks a lot about the body of Christ, and it says, verses 12 and 13, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And so this is what I wanted to, to focus on out of this verse. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. So the spirit of God has brought us together into one body. And so the one spirit is effective in the way that we live our lives and go. Then he goes on, he says, there's one hope that belongs to your call. We're not just the people of the present. present. We have an inheritance waiting for us. We've been sealed with the Spirit of God that promises to us a great future. So we have a hope that belongs to this call. So what, what's that mean? Does that mean... Um, well, I think some things that means is when the stock market crashes, I'm not that worried about it, right? When inflation goes up, God will provide. Um, when, when my party is in power or out of power in the government, I'm not going to get anxious about that, am I? With a, if I have a health issue, I'm going through it, trusting God. Um, all of life, I have a hope. And that becomes so evident that Peter says, some people are going to ask you, what's your hope? Why, why aren't you living for what everybody else is living for? And that's when you tell them the gospel. Or that's one time you tell them the gospel. So our hope is very important. And it's mentioned in chapter 1 of Ephesians as well. One Lord. The Lord is Jesus. And he's the one that calls the shots, if you will. He's the boss. He's the Lord. And so when we're saved, we confess Jesus is Lord. There's one faith, and I believe that the faith refers to not only the fact that we do believe, but it refers to the things that we believe, the things that are in the Word of God, the first three chapters. Well, the whole, the whole Bible, but these things in the first three chapters that we've been going over are part of the Christian faith. What is it that Christians believe that makes them unique. It's found right here. And if we're going to walk in the one faith, we need to know what the faith is, don't we? We need to know what we believe. One baptism. As I was telling you, you know, in Ephesus, they were being, when they came to that city, there were people that were baptized to John's baptism, which was to say, look, I'm a sinner but I don't want to be, and I'm repenting, so I'm going to get baptized in John's baptism. Well, when the apostles came and the disciples came, they 
told them about Jesus. And who, who were they baptized to then? Jesus. That's, that's the Sunday school answer, right? Who? Jesus. Yeah, we're baptized to Jesus. And so externally, we have taken that step in accordance with our faith of being baptized to Jesus. And there's only one baptism that believers participate in now. And then one God and Father of all. And I think in the context of Ephesians in this chapter that we see that God, uh, Paul is talking to believers. And we saw that in the prayer uh, last week that we had, that one Father um, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And God is, there's a sense that he's the source of all life. But Jesus said to some of the people that he talked to, you're of your father, the devil. So not everybody is in that relationship with God as their father. But for those of us who have been chosen and adopted into the family of God, he is our father. And he is not only our father, but he is over all, through all, and in all. So we prayed last week, we prayed this morning, that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that God would dwell in us. His fullness would be our fullness. And so God is over all, and he's in all and through all. And so the, the things that we give thanks for are that we read the end of the last chapter, um, he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Sometimes I think I've heard those verses, you know, unto him who is able to do far more abundantly and thought, God's out there doing great things. Well, God's in here doing great things. And he works through us and in us. And so we are part of that equation with our Father. I believe there's a, another passage here I wanted to read out of 1 Corinthians 12. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So see that? There's the whole Trinity working through us, working through the church. And as we had last week, giving glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus. And so that is what results when we walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So a few things that I've come to conclusion from in, in this passage. One is that we're not simply people of the future, but of the present. We do have a hope, and we're living for a hope, but you know what? That affects how we live our life today. And so we didn't, you know, we hear that reference made frequently. We didn't just get our ticket to heaven punched, and we're trying to keep track of that as we go through this life for someday I'm going to go to heaven because I got saved. No, we're changed. We're part of the body of Christ. We're filled with the Spirit. We have a Lord who is directing our lives. And so 
we should look different to people around us than everybody else, right? Not because we're awesome, but because God is awesome and he's at work in us. What we truly believe shows in our lifestyle. If we truly believe that this world is passing away, that I'm going to stand before God someday and give account for how I lived my day-to-day life, that my hope truly is in God, and I truly love Jesus, and I truly know what he did for me and appreciate it, it's going to change the way I live. If it doesn't change the way I live, Paul says you need to examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith because saving faith is changing faith. So what we believe shows in our lifestyle. And all of this, we need the power working within us to enable a worthy walk. And it's God's power. God doesn't say, here's the book, go do it. No, he gives us his spirit. He gives us his fullness. Christ dwells in us. He gives us each other. And we have this power working in us that enables all of these things. So just to kind of go back to what we said at the beginning, I think there's, there, you know, I mean, you could put any number of steps in here you want. I see uh, four steps is easy enough for me to remember, <laughs> but it kind of covers it to me. Know, pray, trust, and go. We need to know what's true, and we can only know that from the Word of God. But study it, learn it, know it, internalize it, because it affects everything else. And so the first three and a half chapters were, here's what you need to know. Then Paul's prayer in the second half of chapter 14. Pray. What did he pray for? He prayed that we would be strengthened with all power, that we'd be filled with the fullness of God, that Christ would dwell in our hearts that his power would be working in us. And then trust, because his prayer ends with that little doxology to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. It's important that we trust God, not just for our salvation at the end of our life, but for the power to do what he's called us to do. We can't do it in our own strength. We just can't. But we can take that step out knowing that he's the one that's calling us. Like Peter, he took the step out onto the water. You just can't walk on water. But Peter did because Jesus called him and he believed. And so he took that step. So we know, we pray, we trust, and then we go. So tomorrow... We're going to go. As soon as I close, we're going to go. As soon as you're dismissed, we're going to go. We're here with part of the body of Christ. These relationships are important. They build us up. They equip us, as we're going to learn next week. And so next week, we're going to launch on the specifics of what that looks like in the church. And then we'll move on to our personal holiness and our family and our work relationships and doing spiritual warfare. We have everything we need to go, my friends. We have a roadmap and we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And I'm just so thankful 
to know what I know about my God and about his spirit and about his son and about his body. And the band is going to come up and we're going to do a couple more songs and we will take the bread and the juice as instituted by the Lord Jesus to take the bread in remembrance of his body which is given for us and his blood which was shed for us. We invite all believers in the Lord Jesus to participate in that with us. Perhaps as the band starts the next song, we can spend a little time in self-reflection and confession. If there's something that might hinder our worship and communion with the Lord, and then come forward together and partake in this bread, which also, it's a picture of Jesus' body given for us. It's also a picture of the church. If you read in 1 Corinthians 12, believe so it's an act of communion together as the church a fellowship with the lord remembrance of him and so let's just give thanks for the bread and take that together lord jesus thank you for this uh, bread that represents your body given for us you took on human flesh we're coming up on the advent season where we are reminded of that and this morning as we take it we give thanks we take your take this juice as a reminder of your blood shed for us with which you've redeemed us to god and atoned for our sins thank you father for revealing yourself to us in your word thank you for the church thank you for the church at creekside here lord i just pray that we would walk worthy of the calling to which you've called us today and as we go throughout our week. In Jesus' precious name, amen. There's no sound louder than captives and free. So let the redeemed of the Lord